Today's scripture is Acts 2, 42-47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done among the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all who had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad hearts, glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. And would you join me in welcoming up Nate, who will be preaching for the first time this morning. We're delighted to have you. Thank you, Bethany. You're welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, nice. We got energy this morning. I just noticed that the, the, the church kind of fills up in between the beginning and then right now. Is that true? Is that normal? I was like, there's nobody here. And then I was like, oh, there's people here. Great. Um, so good morning. It's really great to be here. Before we get to Acts chapter 2, which I'm very excited to talk about, move this a little bit. Um, before we get there, which I'm excited to preach about and talk about community and koinonia, uh, Pastor Albert thought I should introduce myself a little bit in case any of you maybe weren't here last week. I was introduced and you're like, who is this random guy on the stage and where did Pastor Albert go? Um, my name is Nate Milheim. I um, also just realized that in a group this small, there are a lot of Nates and Nathans is a little odd, to be honest. I've never been in a group where there are like four or five Nathans and Nates. Um, but I'm excited to be a new associate pastor here at Regeneration and to get to know all of you and, and to grow and to be a part of the journey um, of this church. Um, I have a family, and I'm going to embarrass them, but you might have already seen them over there. So that's my wife, Andrea, and Kayla, and Chase, and our youngest, Ava, is in um, Sunday school. Um, yeah, so Hopefully we can kind of meet you slowly over time and hang out and break bread and do life together, um, which is the topic of the sermon um, this morning. But a little bit about us. We have been in Oakland for 10 years. Um, Andrea and I went to Menton College. We both played basketball at a small Christian college, played basketball, got married when we were like little babies right out of college. We look so young in our pictures, it's ridiculous. Um, got married. I was a youth pastor in the Alamo Danville area for a while. Um, and then moved to San Francisco, worked with the ministry there, and then moved to Oakland um, 10 years ago. Um, with then it was just one, just Kayla, just us and Kayla. Oh, two, yeah, it's all jumbled together. So us and two kids moved to Oakland um, off High Street about 10 years ago and started a uh, faith-based nonprofit called Oakland Leadership Center. We've been doing different kinds of mentoring and community development in East Oakland for about 10 years. A lot of basketball and music studios and a lot of one-on-one -on -one meetings and group meetings. Um, and I actually still work with OLC, and I work part-time with Regen, because a few of you have asked that, just so I can clarify that a little bit. I haven't left that world. I'm still in that world, um, and love it and appreciate it um, in many ways. So that's me. I just said that really fast. Thanks for bearing with me and being patient. I did have one person already say, oh, no Pastor Albert this morning, and I was like, oh, okay. I'm heartbroken, <laughs> but, so, but I'm here. Um, so let's jump in in a moment to Acts and get the introduction to the side. I'm going to pray for us again, okay, and get into the uh, sermon mode this morning. Father, we thank you for your love and care. 
just even in this moment, we all have the things that we're going through. We all have the distractions. We all have the joys and we all have the pains of life here on earth. And I just ask that in this moment, help us take a breath. Um, let us enjoy being in this space. Let us enjoy being able to sit and rest um, and hear the word of God. God, would you encourage us? Would you open our eyes and our ears to what you want to teach us through your word? Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Um, one more announcement as we get started into the message is um, my main role here will be with home groups, or one of my main roles will be with home groups. And home groups will officially relaunch next Sunday the 30th and the following week. And I know many of you have been in a home group or are in a home group, um, and I've been frantically trying to meet with all the home group leaders um, and kind of get us together to move forward. Um, but I hope if you're in one, I hope you can jump back in, or maybe you've still been meeting. And if you haven't been in a home group, um, the next couple weeks we'll be talking about community. Um, and my hope is that some of us might find a yearning for, for friendship, for community um, in one way or another. And home groups is one big way that we can do life um, together uh, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and uh, we need that. So um, this morning, to start off our, our message, I want to point you to um, an article that I discovered recently. Actually, a friend of mine posted it on Facebook, um, but it's from The Economist. And this article stated, and the, the title of it was, All the Lonely People, Loneliest is a Serious Health Problem. And this article goes into great detail, and the tagline was, um, The lonely are not just sad, they are unhealthy and they die younger. What can be done? And this, this article goes into detail um, that all over the world, not in the U.S., but literally many governments in the whole world over the last couple of years have started to, to be worried about loneliness as a health epidemic. Um, campaigns have been started in Britain, Denmark, and Australia just recently. Um, last year, a former Surgeon General of the U.S. called loneliness in the U.S. an epidemic, and he likened the impact of loneliness health-wise to smoking 15 cigarettes a day or obesity. This is the, the actual even health effect of, of loneliness in our society. Um, the British Prime Minister just appointed a Minister of Loneliness um, for Great Britain. So all over the world, there is this thing happening in our society where so many of us feel lonely. Um, the research says that 22% of adults in America always or often feel lonely. So not sometimes kind of feel lonely, but always or often feel lonely, 22% of adults in America. The research says it's actually worse in young adults or older people, this deep sense of loneliness. And some people that, that um, register as feeling lonely and struggling um, might look lonely, might live alone, not have family with them. But some people who actually on a survey say that they feel deeply isolated and lonely actually appear to have friends appear to have people around them, but somewhere deep inside when they're honest say, I actually feel deeply lonely. I, I feel alone. Um, I don't have the number of people I can trust or count on that I thought I would at this stage of life, um, and it is a struggle. Um, it said, from 1985 to 2009, the average size of an American social network defined by the number of confidants, someone that you can really trust and confide in, has decreased by one-third. So there's this steady decrease in the number of people that we can truly count on for most of the people around us, a steady decrease. Um, and of course, we can blame 
social media, right? We can blame technology, we can blame computer screens or Xbox, and this, this, the article went into detail about Facebook and, and Instagram and social media, which many would say plays a role in it. Um, and then the, the funny thing in the article was that uh, the answers to it, the, the answers to loneliness, there are new businesses creeping up. Um, one business, actually, you can pay, and they will call you once a week and talk to you for 15 minutes. So, so someone gets trained to call lonely people and talk for 15 minutes. And then also, there's a developing industry in artificial, tech, artificial intelligence and robots who can interact with people who are lonely. This is like a, a booming industry. How do, how do we help people who are by themselves and are lonely with robots, with, with AI? Um, this is a problem, right? So I want you to hold that thought, okay, before we go to Acts 2. And I want to say one more current trend in thought. And I don't have one article, but there are many articles about a rising income inequality. Okay, a rising income inequality everywhere in the U.S., but also in the Bay Area for sure. In the Bay Area, it's not getting closer, where we're closer in, in wealth. It means it's actually, the gap is getting larger, faster with technology and with our economy. The gap between those who have more than enough and those who have very little, not enough, just grows. And I think if you drive around town, we can see this, right? That this growing income inequality. Think about loneliness, think about income inequality, keep those in mind with our reality. And now let's go to Acts chapter 2, um, and we'll look at 42 to 47. Before we actually read um, 42, I want to talk a little bit about the context, because there's a very unique context here. Before there's this beautiful paragraph, there's a little lead into that I want to get into. Um, first of all, of course, at the end of the Gospels, Jesus, the Christ, dies and then is resurrected. He then appears to people for a period of time. He, he talks to his followers. He walks with them. He talks to them. He is with them. But then he ascends into heaven. Right after that, in the story of Acts early on, there is the day of Pentecost. So the Holy Spirit comes on people. And there were people from all over the known world who were Jews who had come to Jerusalem. They were together. And the Holy Spirit came on them in this radical, amazing way. They had an experience with God. And right after that, Peter gives a, basically a sermon. Um, and he says, well, here's who Jesus is, everybody. Let me explain to you what's going on. This Jesus was just here. And here's who Jesus was and is in our life. So Peter gives this rousing sermon. And at the end of the sermon... It says, everybody came up and said, well, then what do we do? Which I, as someone who communicates, if, if you all ran up to me after any time I talked, well, okay, then what do we do? I, that, that would be amazing because people very rarely do that, right? Maybe one person. But in this story, the Holy Spirit was there and people said, okay, Peter, then if Jesus is the Lord and the Christ, what do we do? And so then this early church is launched and he said, well, repent and be baptized. And 3,000 were added. And then that leads into this paragraph right here. Okay, so there's this excitement and energy and knowledge that Jesus is the Lord, and then they come together, um, and I want to start off and just read, I'm going to read verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So I'm just going to pause there. They were devoted to these things. And I want to go through each, four, each of these four things. They were devoted to the teaching, first of all. They were, they were devoted to hearing teaching, to understanding Jesus more, to understanding what God was and their story, what this meant for them. They were devoted to it. 
But I want to point out, like I just pointed out, they weren't just devoted to, to hearing it, but they were actually in a mode of, we want to go hear teaching, and if Jesus is Lord, let's let it change our lives. Amen? So they were, they were hearing teaching, but then they were in this mode of, okay, if this is real, if Jesus is really who Peter, like, okay, let's rethink all of it. Rethink my whole life if Jesus is really Lord. So they were devoted to this teaching. Um, the next part we're going to camp out on for a long time. It says they were devoted, and it's translated here, devoted to fellowship. Um, the, the Greek word is koinonia, which is our, our series for this week, next week, and a couple weeks after that. Um, to koinonia. It's a, it's a Greek word. It can be translated fellowship or partnership um, or community, um, participating, sharing in something. Koinonia. And it's usually translated fellowship. Um, and a little more about me. I've been in church a long time. The word fellowship sounds cheesy. If anybody else like me, I've been in church a long time. I've heard like fellowship halls and fellowship potlucks and fellowship this. So I, I, I grew up in um, actually Calvary Chapel, Santa Maria. I'll give you a little, little extra bio here in the middle of the sermon. Um, and I was, my dad was the chairman of the elder board. So I was at church all the time. I like set up church. I tore down church. I hung out with the elders and the deacons. And, and that was my life. And then I went to a private Christian school um, run by a, like an extremely fundamentalist conservative Baptist church. So I was always around this like intense 1980s Christianity um, when I was a child. And I remember, like, so when I hear fellowship, I just think of like a bunch of old people in like this, this stuffy hall, right? And being a kid and being like, I don't want to be here, but there's potato salad and, and it's like fellowship hall, right? It's, it's the fellowship. So that's why I'm not, I'm not saying a three-part series on fellowship. I'm going to say koinonia, um, which is this, this deep sense of we are together in this. We have something in common. We, we share things. We are there for each other, this, this koinonia. We are partnered and unified in something beautiful with God. Um, it's also translated in the message in this, in this verse, life together, koinonia. It's also translated in the CEV, we're like a family to each other. Um, the CEB translates just, just the community. So koinonia is this deep sense of we are in this together. We need one another in this life of following Jesus. Amen? Okay. I've spent a little time, a lot of time in black churches the last seven years. We have a little more energy. So sometimes I just like a little, like a little, little, just a little, you know what I mean? A little, a little something that, I'm, that we're still here together. Um, I told my daughter she could say amen a lot, and she was like, are you, why are you saying that to me right now? Like, leave me alone. I was like, no, you could say it. And she's like, dad, leave me alone. Um, okay. Koinonia. I was trying to think of, how do I, how can I illustrate this deep, deeply important thing in this passage in the early church? How, how do you, and we all know it, right? We all know community is important. We know doing life together is needed and important. How do I illustrate that in a way that, that makes sense to me? And I asked my kids permission to t talk about them starting school this year. Um, I have three kids. One started high school, which is kind of a big deal. Um, one started middle school, which is, if you can remember back, is kind of a big deal. And one is going to the same elementary school she's gone her, her whole life and has been visiting her big siblings her whole life. And my, my older daughter went to this to Oakland Tech, big campus, and I went and dropped her off. And I had known this, but she basically knew one or two people on the campus a little bit. So I'm, I'm dropping her off as a father to this big campus with, you know, big senior boys and this, you know, and I'm up there and I'm nervous. And I'm nervous because my daughter doesn't have people. 
She didn't have people to have her back there. She didn't have a crew. She didn't have a, you know, deep friends. She didn't have people to go to figure out her locker, right, and to go to class. She didn't have people for her. So for me, even as a father and her, was this, this, this stressful thing of you don't have people here who I know love you and will have your back. And she had a, a rough few days, and then she made friends, and now it's, it's okay, right, because she has people who can walk around with her and help her and be there for her and sit at lunch with her, those things, right? My son, on the other hand, starts middle school, and I'm kind of nervous for him, but he had a bunch of friends from his school before, previously, from his elementary school. So I walk him into class. There's a huge crowd. It's the first day, and all, every sixth grade parent, I think, takes their kid to school, to his school. So it's, it was a madhouse. It was so crazy. There's this hallway. You go sixth grade down here, and it's, you couldn't walk down this hallway, and it's, it's just like, now I'm getting stressed out, and I'm going through, and and I'm like, Chase, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, Dad, we're okay. But I can tell he's stressed, and we're pushing through. And then he sees, like, a little pack of kids from his elementary school, you know, like five or six. And he, he, he's kind of been nervous, like, next to me. He doesn't want to admit it. He's next to me. And he sees them, and he's like, oh, bye, Dad. There's my guys. And he literally just pushes through this crazy crowd of adults and eighth graders. He just, and I, and I see him, and I'm like, he, he doesn't care anymore. Like, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> no. But it was because, right, he found his people. Like, he had his people, and he knew, okay, I, I got some people. So I'm going to figure out, right, a locker and changing in PE, right, and, like, actually moving, all this stuff of, like, middle school. But he had his people, so he was like, I'm good. I got my people. Um, my younger daughter, I'm not even worried about, because I got a kid starting high school and middle school, so I'm not even worried about my, my little one. Like, it's the same school, same, I know every teacher there, right? We know the principal, we've been there forever. And she has a great couple days, it's fine, and then... I think it was maybe Tuesday or Wednesday night, I'm, I'm saying prayers with her at night. And, and I get up there, and she's just starting to weep. She's starting to cry, and I'm like, baby girl, what's... She goes, Dad, I just realized that I don't have a sibling at my school for the first time ever. I just realized my whole life, starting kindergarten, I had two, I had my big sister and my big brother, and they, and they were there, and, and I knew they were there, and then I had my big brother, and I just realized I don't have a big brother or sister at my school. And she's just starting to really, like, cry. And I'm starting to, like, almost, you know, trying to hold it in, like, pray for her. And I'm like, but I'm like, honey, you have friends. Like, you know everybody. Like, she goes, yeah, but it's different, Dad. I had family there. And, and my big brother, Chase, I knew if I ever needed him, I knew he would be there for me. Gosh, I'm like, like I knew he would be there. And I, I knew he would hug me. Like, I just, I knew he would. And I'm like, but you have friends. But no, but Dad is different. Like, like he knows me. And she actually, in a, an incredibly sophisticated way for a nine-year-old, articulated, he knows me, he knows what I go through, he knows everything about me, um, he's there with me all the time, he, know, he understands my family, and I know if I ever needed him, he'd be there. Like, I just know he would. So I start weeping, I mean, I'm like crying, like trying to like hold the, the stuff back. But my girl articulated, right, the, this thing, not even just friends, but we need that need for people who know us, right? They, they know even the bad stuff about us. They know when we flip out. They, they, they know, but they, they love us, right? And they, they have our back when we need it. Like, they have us. If, if we're going through something, they have our back. That's koinonia in a church. When you know these people who I do life with, I follow Jesus with, I, mean, I know I can count on some people in this crew. I, I know that they'll not just pray for me, but they will be there for me if I need them. Right? They will hold me. They will, they, they will help me with these things. They will, they will support me. They will encourage me. That's koinonia. Um, and we desperately need this koinonia.
Now, in Acts 2, these first Christians, we'll see in a minute, even needed each other financially, but they also needed each other socially because this was a big deal to decide that Jesus is Lord in their culture. These people were, were predominantly Jewish religion and ethnicity, so for them to come from this very rigid the way they followed their, their, their religion was very strict and, and it was a big deal socially. Their life, their, everything was involved in this. And then to say, actually, I believe Jesus is the Messiah was, was a difficult thing in this context. And we can read more later in, in other history and epistles, but this was a big thing to, to choose this way. So they needed each other. They needed each other for that support, for that sense of, of family. It's possible some of them were disowned by their family for, for choosing a different route and to follow Jesus. Um, also, we see later in Paul's writings that in the Roman Empire, to say Jesus is Lord is not okay when they want Caesar to be Lord. So not only their own family and religion, but they're also going against um, the empire that controls their land. And they're thumbing their nose at the empire and saying, no, Jesus is Lord. And to take those big risks, those steps of faith to say, I'm following this Jesus, it was a big deal. And they needed each other. They needed to be together. They needed to pray together. They, they needed to have each other's um, back in life. So that leads us to the third thing they were devoted to is the breaking of bread. Um, and the one thing I think, I think I forgot to point out in the article from The Economist um, was that people are actually eating together less. More people the last few years actually eat alone um, than ever before. More people eat by themselves. And Acts 2 describes this, this reality of koinonia, where they were breaking bread together. And it almost seems like a funny thing, right? There's like prayer and this fellowship and teaching. But of, of this, this big thing of four things, they were breaking um, bread together. And in that context, breaking bread was also a big deal. You might remember Jesus was frequently called out for eating with sinners, right? He was, Jesus was frequently eating with the wrong people. Because eating in that context was a sign of, like, I'm with this person, right? I vouch for this person. This person and I are together in a sacred way. We are breaking bread together. And these people were breaking bread together. And even today, if you think about who we eat with, there is something special. It says something about us, about who we eat with, right? Think about who you share meals with. Maybe a family, maybe roommates, maybe extended family, and perhaps you have friends that, that you break bread with, and you sit in your backyard, and you laugh, right? And you talk, and you tell stories from the week. If you have kids, your kids run around, and, and you try to have a few moments with some adults, and you, and you talk about life, and you, and you laugh, and you cry, and maybe you pray, but you break bread together. There's something holy and sacred when God's people eat together and sit at a table and share food, so much so that it's included in this passage of one of the things that they prioritized and they were dedicated to. And the fourth thing is the prayers. They were, they were still dedicated to, to prayer. Most likely some kind of fixed hour prayer, most likely together with other people. Um, they, were, they were praying together um, with others. Now I want to read verses 43 to 45 of Acts chapter 2. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Wow. Okay. This is the fun part. Now it gets really fun. So, and this word, I want to point out first, this word all is in here many times. 
So it says all who believed. So not like a few who believed had like the inner circle, but like everybody who believed in this crew was there. They had all things in common, and they, dis they distributed the proceeds to all um, as any had need, okay? So this deep sense of not just sharing, right? Like, hey, I love you, how you doing? But this deep sense of we are now sharing because we decided Jesus is Lord. We're going to share our whole life, like all of it. We're going to share and be there and support one another. And I want to remind you how miraculous this is. Um, Acts 2, 9 through 11 points out that these, Jew they, these people were Jewish who came to Jerusalem together, but they were actually from all over the known world. Um, so it says, Acts 2, 9 through 11, there were Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, Jews and proselytes, so who, who weren't ethnically Jewish, Cretans and Arabians. So this gathering of people is from like all over the known world. So it isn't just like someone lived in my town, right, and we've been going to church and now we're going to share. This is people came together from the known little world, came together, and because they believe Jesus is Lord, they are now having this deep sense of koinonia and, and sharing and support of one another because they believe that Jesus is Lord. Now, verse 45 lays out this idea of, of sharing all their possessions. And they were, even if they needed, they would go sell things, right? They were, they were even selling things and coming back. If, if their brothers and sisters had need, they would go and they, they would share it with the people. And this sounds like a very radical idea in American society, am I right? This is a very, like, this is not something we just do. This is, a, this is a strange idea for me to say here, right, in Oakland in 2018, to say this is what they did naturally. This is not normal for us. But I want to point out, these were Jews, and I want to point out that this idea of, of a sense of sharing and supporting one another and those in need in your midst um, in a radical way goes back to the, the beginning of the story of the narrative. So even in Deuteronomy 15, 1 through 8, I'm going to read that. These ideas have been a part of this narrative going way back. So Deuteronomy 15, 1 through 8, um, says, At the end of the seven, every seven years you, you shall grant a release. And this is the, num the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. Of a foreigner you may exact it, but whatever of yours is with your brother, your hand shall release but there will be no poor among you. For the Lord will bless you in the, in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow, and you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. So two more verses. If among you... One of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. So this idea, even for these Jews, wouldn't have been this, oh, out of the blue idea. This is an idea that's been in this narrative, this story of God and his people way back from Deuteronomy, this idea that when we are together as a people group in God and worshiping, that we share, that we take care of our brother, that we take care of our sister, that we are there for them in whatever they need. And it's this, this radical different way of looking at life, right? It isn't just 
just a, a simple thing, I'm going to give a few dollars, but, but this is laying out a different way to view life, a different way to view ownership, a different way to view community, a different way to view possessions um, in light of the fact that, that Jesus is Lord. And it comes out in Deuteronomy, but that a generosity to other human beings only makes any sense if we have a deep gratitude for generosity from God, right? Only if, if we have this deep sense of awe at the grace of God, at the provision of God, that this money I have is just because just of God's blessings, that this house I have is just because of God's blessing, that my forgiveness and grace I receive is unearned. It's God's favor upon me I did not earn. Only when we have that deep sense of generosity to God does it really become more natural to be generous with human beings around us, to, to, give, to give freely without anything in return, to give freely even if they don't deserve it, to, to give forgiveness to a friend who doesn't deserve it, to give $1,000 to a friend who doesn't deserve it. it. That becomes a more natural thing if we have this deep sense of generosity that everything we have was given is a gift from the God who loves us. Amen? So I want to read 46 and 47, and, and we'll be closing um, in just a moment. And day by day, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So this is a day by day life. So it starts off with Pentecost with this roar, right? This, 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 this fire and roar and spark. But then there's the day by day. We, we live life day by day, the monotony of day by day, getting up and going to work and paying our bills and getting places and commuting and all the, the day by day worries. But it says they, that day by day they kept breaking bread. So this, the momentous excitement you know, stops flowing at some point. And then you have the day by day. And we have a chance to keep breaking bread. We have a chance to keep sharing. We have a chance to keep practicing koinonia of, of being with our brothers and sisters and supporting them and loving them and trusting them um, day by day. So I want to point out as we close that some would say that it's dangerous to romanticize this passage. And it may be dangerous to, to, to romanticize the, this one moment in church history it may be dangerous to romanticize it and idealize it and stare at it for far too long, perhaps. And we can't recreate it. We can't recreate Pentecost, right? Jesus just ascended in Pentecost, and we can't recreate this moment in time. Maybe we shouldn't romanticize it, but perhaps we could learn from it, right? Perhaps we could look at it and learn from it and see this moment in time and see that the purity of how they lived and, and the devotion and how they lived. And perhaps we could learn from it and, and just take a question of, okay, how could, what is God calling me to that? And in my own life, in 2018, in Oakland, which is different, we have a different context, different culture, different economic realities, but how can I see this story in the scriptures of God and this people, and how could I take a step towards koinonia? How could I reflect on it and learn from it and take a step towards this life that this early church had together? Amen? Um, let me say a prayer for us. God, I thank you for this passage. It, it excites me. 
it energizes me. Um, and I ask God, I know that there, you are already moving in so many ways in this community amongst people. Um, but God, this morning, I, I just want to pray again. God, we, we need a deep sense of sharing and community and support and encouragement from one another. God, would you give us, um, give us the strength and boldness maybe to step out in a different way in our lives, to, to step into a community, maybe in a different way, in a different level, to, to trust people, to encourage people, to do life together, to break bread together. Um, would you help us take a step towards that? In Jesus' name, amen.